Ah, yes, it is that time of the week yet again. Round your greasy little faces up to the radio because Massacre Radio has just begun. I, of course, am your host, Members Only Dave, on this, the 31st episode. Not only that, but I'll be joined a little bit later on by my guest, writer-director Uva Boll. You know, it only made sense, since we had on Zach Ward last week to talk all things postal, that we had the director of the film himself join us, and that will happen in just a bit. But first, you know, speaking of guests, I've been trying to book a guest myself here on the program for the longest time. Weeks, even months, it seems, you know. And and not only that, but I have his phone number. He just hasn't been answering my calls. So I figured, what better time than right now than to give him a call, see if he's ready to pick up. Let's see what happens here. Let me just get this out and start dialing this in. He might be busy playing his Xbox. I saw on his Twitter recently that he's been learning how to change the oil in a, a car, a virtual car. Yeah, um... Ooh, it's ringing. Let's see what we got here. Your call I don't know. has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. Hello, Peter Prescott. Radiation from the computer is hurting my eyes. I love it. Swag. At the tone. Okay, well, I'd leave a message, but I have a show to do, so I'll phone him again on next week's show, see if we can't reach him then. Anyway, we'll be back with more Massacre Radio after this. Say, you got a nice form there, fellow pumper. Mind giving me a spot? Yeah, no problem. You don't care if I turn on a little bit of music first, do you? I want to get the juices flowing, you know? Whatever. Whoa, what are you doing? I love that song. Not in this here, Jim Sparky. I thought you'd turn on a radio program or a podcast or something. Ain't nobody trying to hear that mess. A podcast or a radio program? I'd never really listened to one before. What would you suggest? Here, check this here out. It's my new favorite. It's called Masker Radio. Masker Radio. Okay. No, not Masker. Massacre. This guy's great. Listen to this. You know what? Throw some extra tens on this bar. I'm going to go for a personal best. You ready? I don't know, man. Take it easy. There you go. You're doing it. One more. Wow, you're a beast, man. That was awesome. Thanks. I couldn't have done it without you. And Massacre Radio. Massacre Radio. Oh, yeah. It's Members Only Dave right here on WKMA Cleveland and HD2 Station. You're dialed into Massacre Radio. And wouldn't you know it, joining me now on the Massacre Radio hotline, which you too can call at 440-941-8585. It's a man who once got into the ring and boxed some of his fiercest critics. He's also wrote and directed many of your favorite films. I'm pleased to welcome none other than writer-director Uva Boll. Hey, it's really great to speak with you. Thank you for taking the time today. How are we doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's, it's carnival season in Germany where I live, so everybody outside are dressed people getting drunk. So it's all good. (laughs) Well, we have a lot to get into in the short time that I do have you on. And the biggest thing I wanted to talk to you about was your movie Postal, since Massacre Video is releasing a 4K UHD Blu-ray of it. But when you first got approached by them and you found out that they wanted to remaster your film Postal, what was your initial reaction to that? What were you thinking? I was happy. I was super excited because I felt... Like a lot of my films, they were only like an HD finish, basically. Not, nobody ever put them on uh, UHD or 4K. And so when Louis approached us, uh, I was very happy. So we did Blood Rain. 
I hope I can do more films with him too, uh, because it's also about the legacy, you know, to have all my films in one point and on uh, 4K. I think it's very important. No, I was very happy. So I got to tell you, I rewatched Postal for the first time uh, in some years, and the opening scene where they crashed the plane into the tower, you know, the first time I ever did see that, I was pretty shocked, you know, but I, I couldn't believe that the, I saw that sequence in a movie, but I love how unapologetic you are with your filmmaking, so where is the line for you in terms of what you will or won't do in one of your films? It seems like nothing is off limits. I mean, is there any subject matter or topic that would give you pause, or do you think more along the lines of anything goes and it doesn't matter if it offends people? I think overall, I think everything should be possible, right? To make jokes about everything. I'm a big South Park fan. So the thing is with South Park, because it's animation, you get away with things a little more as uh, you do it with relaxers. What I also wouldn't do is bring kids in very uncomfortable situations, what they do in South Park all the time, right? Where they have nudity and everything. I would never do that with, with children in front of a camera. So there are rules I would not like, uh, because you could really have a negative impact on the actors, you know, so that I don't want. But overall, in regards of content, uh, to make social commentaries about the reality and about things they actually happen on the planet. So, you know, th there I think it's important to bring the humor in. You know, I, I had a session with the actor Think Tank in New York a few days ago on also Zoom meeting. And I said, okay, you know what? The most important thing, what I think, is to go with humor through your life because it makes everything takeable everything like you can endure everything because the reality a lot of times is hot is sad is crazy and uh, i think uh, to make jokes about it it's it's so missing i don't see a lot of comedies these days it's it's not a lot of comedies out there and most of the comedies are normally now this kind of always this romantic comedies or uh, you know the family kind of christmas comedies but the comedies we grow, I grew up with, like Naked Gun and stuff like this, they are not existing anymore. And I think it's sad. And I think it's a lot of times because of the diversity writers and all that shit, what that streamers have. It's, it's, it's like impossible to make a funny movie if you have to basically put everything into account. Could that offend this person, that person, uh, this nation, this race, this skin color. If you start with this, you don't, you cannot make a comedy. And I feel like rewatching Postal is one of my biggest uh, joys because it really didn't care at all. You know, when you watch the film, I think it's also the reason it turned into this kind of a cult movie because people love it. They just love it that there are no holdbacks. You know, the wheelchair driver scene or whatever, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, but why not? I mean, you know, as, as long as you can laugh about it and they shouldn't like, and that is also a big problem, I think, in today's time. They all take it personal, you know, and I think you shouldn't take anything personal if you watch a film in general or a comedy. You should not put it always uh, on you like, oh, uh, that could be against my heritage or whatever. <laughs> right. So I. In the movie Postal, I love that scene where you're grappling with the creator of the video game Postal and you hit him with the boxing glove on. I mean, that's I mean that is comedy. That's, that, was, that was great. Yeah. No, I know. And it was Vince Dizzy, right? So uh, from Running With Scissors. And uh, I, I think that was also a thing where we had the same chemistry. 
There was it's the only video game company I ever worked with who were really into it. You know, they really supported the film. They came to the shooting. They played in the film. So when you had like Far Cry or whatever, Microsoft on Dungeon Siege, they were not really, they didn't care. They gave you a license, you make a film, and then you never hear from them again. And I think it's sad that it's also like, I think a good thing that they're still like, companies out that they have that one game and they're promoting it and that is their life so i'm, I'm very happy about post it's, it's really from the shooting was my favorite film i ever made and from the rewatchable quality absolutely awesome so both your films blood rain and postal are getting the 4k uhd blu-ray treatment i gotta ask you what other films of yours do you think are the most deserving uh next anyway yeah i mean we uh i think rampage Rampage one, then uh, all the like House of the Dead, Alone in the Dark, in the name of the King, the Dungeon Siege, Far Cry. So I think Far Cry is maybe in 4K, but like this kind of a little older films too. I think uh, they were all shot on 35 millimeters, so they should be doable to get a, a very high end quality uh, 4K version. Especially now on all the TVs, you have so much more brilliance to uh, to uh, to the picture. So, yeah, I really hope that we uh, find enough uh, 35 millimeter material to do this for most of the films. Some films, I think uh, we just found a Tunnel Rats copy or a Dafur copy. So it's like I'm looking out to buy copies, to find copies, if the, because all that labs where the 35 millimeter material was in are closed, you know, and then a lot of times they destroyed everything. And that is uh, very bad. Uva Bull is my guest today on Massacre Radio. We're going to get back to the film Postal in just a bit, but early on, I know some of your early film influences were in part movies like Airplane and Kentucky Fried Movie, which were goofy at times, and they could offend people, and you've been on record as saying that comedy should offend, and at times, it's important to go to the extreme to feel free. Can you just kind of expand a little bit on that thought process and why comedy should offend people and why the extreme you feel is necessary in your films? Yeah, I think it, it, it's important in all kind of genres to <clears throat> like widen the experience level or the comfort level of the audience. I mean, the biggest impact of on films is always something what makes you kind of feeling uh, you learn something or you get like into a different dimension. You get really scared, like Silence of the Lambs, The Shining, like films. You know, I think they were masterpieces because they brought something what you didn't felt before, where you felt like, fuck, Hannibal Lecter is serious. <laughs> and the same is with comedy. When I think the, the humor for me, a very black humor, right? So it's, it's like this kind of, when I get totally thrown off that the people totally do something completely different as I was expecting it, that is comedy for me, you know, like when when it's this kind of and when a scene, you think it goes in this direction, then totally goes in a totally different direction and turns uh, uh, absurd almost. And I feel like in post we totally succeeded with it. And this kind of also physically com comedies are rare now. Like what Hangover was, you know, where you have not only jokes because they're talking, but where you also have crazy stunts or action or where you feel like this more that jackass feeling where you have the feeling like oh my god yeah so and, and, uh, i i like stuff like this and what the, the worst experience for me watching films or tv shows is when you know how it will go and it goes exactly that way <laughs> and then you're like oh god now you know like like where well, you know it and especially the comedy genre 
needs to break free from this kind of limitations that are out there right now. I think that is very important that also the, the streamers and so on getting a little looser, that they feel like we don't have to protect everybody. You know, you can also make films they are shocking for people. Or it's good that a comedy also has some negative reactions from people that are totally offended, you know, and they say like, oh God, that's so ridiculous. How can that movie be allowed? But I think that is a good sign for then the other crowd or the other people who are, who have humor, you know. And we'll never forget the postal premiere at the New Jersey Film Festival. And then the mayor from New Jersey didn't came. He was supposed to open a festival. He didn't came because of Postal. Mm -hmm. And he said, you make jokes about September 11th. And I said, no, it's about the terrorists. The joke is not on the cost of 9-11. The joke is about the craziness to believe you kill people and you get A in heaven and B, you get virgins. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, that was the scene and not like uh, making jokes about victims. So, and uh, that is the thing. I think a lot of people now, they prejudge too. They are like this kind of, uh, you cannot do this, you know? So it's it's like, oh, then I don't feel good and so on. And that that is, it's tough. I think also on film sets now to do this kind of comedy, you know, where they're all, but you have the feeling, oh God, they call the union because of the joke, you know, like stuff like this. And I think that is, uh, is a bad kind of McCarthy atmosphere. But, you know, but from the other side, it, it's like the Vogue police is around now. Okay, so I have to ask you about your critics throughout the years because everybody knows by now, or at least they should know, that you famously boxed four critics in Vancouver back in the day. But as it pertains to your films, though, did it ever feel or does it even feel these days that no matter what movie you might make, whether it's good or bad, that you'll always be a target of criticism from the media just because you are who you are? 100%. It, it's like... I felt most of the, the newspaper reviewers, they don't even watch the films. They just like copy and paste all the same. And uh, th that is, uh, it's so wrong because if you actually see what movies I did, I did all genres, totally different films. I, I didn't make films like whatever the typical sci-fi director who did only sci-fi movies or only monster movies or whatever. So it's, I have a big range in, in genres I did. But what I recognize too is in the last five, six years, maybe because of the streamers, the reactions get better to the films. Like the people like the films. And then when Rampage run on Netflix, for example, it really gained an audience that people really uh, said, oh, wow, that was totally different as what I see here normally. And that helps, of course, to change a little the past where the people are like, just like prejudged everything. And then they didn't watch it because it cost money. You know, like uh, they didn't work, went and bought the, the ticket or they didn't bought the DVD. And then they never really watched it. So that is now different with the movies basically available on Apple, Amazon and, and so on. Uh, it makes it easier that people also correct the opinion uh, about me. You know, I think one of the biggest mistakes I did when I was young and just started making these video game based films was that I never had an agent. I never had a manager. I never had a PR agent. You know, <laughs> like, and I always said what I meant. I never, uh, I was never diplomatic, and that throws Hollywood off because they're all used to 
they make money on everybody, you know? So, uh, and if, if you don't have an agent, you don't have to pay him 10%. So, and you know, and I felt for what? If I raise the money, why I should pay an agent? So, but of course, agents also protecting their clients, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they would maybe stop that wave, the anti-ball petition and all that stuff. It would maybe never happen if like William Morris would represented me uh, at that point, right. you know, so... Yeah. A lot of the time I feel like the criticism on your films is unjust and that you're largely a misunderstood artist, you know? If you go ahead and read the reviews on some of your films from fans, from people who aren't necessarily critics per se, and people who actually watch the film, people seem to get it and love what you do. And I think that says more about the haters, you know, the critics who have in the past unfairly dumped on your projects, you know? Totally. It's also like when you see on IMDb, right? On IMDb, they just copy Rotten Tomatoes. And so you basically have very low rates. Then you go on Amazon and you check the readers, like the actually viewers, right? The stars. You will barely find a ball film under four stars. It's like they, on the actual sites where people watch something and judge it. And uh, um, that, that is a good sign, you know? And I always said that also to streamers or whatever when we were negotiating about whatever. I said, look, Look who watches the films for real from the normal audience and what they think about it. And uh, I think I, I hit the nerve of this kind of typical New York Times reviewer or whatever, because House of the Dead was maybe the first film they ever saw from me. And they then they hated it, like a zombie movie, cheesy, you know. So And then whatever I did after, they looked with this kind of like like the wrong eyeglasses on, basically. So whatever I did, if I did Rampage, or Southern Wall Street, Darfur, Postal, it never got a fair shot. I remember where I got the Raspberry nomination from Postal. And I said, are you, are you sure? Like, I mean, watch Postal. I said, that this is like a classic. That is a real comedy classic. It has nothing to do with the Raspberries. It's, it's basically the same kind of satire what the Raspberries are to the Oscars is Postal to a film uh, and, and uh, the, the, the political landscapes were. And I think they gave me the nomination because they wanted to give me the nomination because I was nominated for Alone in the Dark before and for Blood. That was, I mean, in a way, it was kind of frustrating in between, but I think the key is to not dig too deep, right? So to not like read every day the, the, the news about me or every day reviews or something. Now, in previous interviews, you've stated in various ways that you make movies that are entertaining, and I totally agree with that. So walk me through that formula if you can. What are three things in your mind every film needs to have for it to be entertaining? Yeah, I I mean, it depends, of course, on the genre, but I think you need definitely kind of a lead actor or actress like two or three people you can identify with you go through the film, like the postal dude in, in postal, right? So I think um, my films are more like, I'm a big John Ford fan. So I don't want to compare me here to John Ford, but John Ford said, you just have to tell the story. And I always move my story along. I'm not doing too much of this private personal scenes and whatever. And I picked my stories that are mostly kind of radical existential things. They are like life and death situations or, you know, it's not like uh, I'm not the right guy to tell like a drama about the guy who's in rehab. (laughs) 
you know, and then, <laughs> then nothing happens, you know. So I would tell the story, he gets out of rehab and robs banks. So, and that, that is the thing. I'm, I'm more interested in subject matters. They drive forward and they are really about like, will this guy or this woman survive? And, you know, like stuff like this. It's like, it's also the, the films I watch are more this kind of straightforward action films, whatever, right? So, or TV series, you know, so, and that is the thing. I, I was never the fan of just this kind of just melodrama. What is now, of course, it's all about the drama. It's all about the melodrama when you see who gets the nominations and all these films, you know, and you watch this and you think, okay, what, uh, what's, what will happen? <laughs> you know, you know before it's two hours, 20 minutes, and then you sit there and you think, oh my God, Jennifer Lawrence again in the talk with somebody else. <laughs> you know, and I mean, that is the thing. It's, it's like, but I like it, this kind of doing films who are not two and a half hours long. I mean, Dungeon Siege was, but the others not. And to just say, look, 100 minutes is a good length for a film, or 110 maximum, and to just tell the story as also as fast as you can. Like, don't slow down too much and uh, get boring in between. We're going to take a brief time out here on Massacre Radio and be back with more from writer-director Uwe Boll after this. Hey, I need some air. Point that air at me. I make it a hard pay. See if they're still on us. No flipping away. I need some air. Just act natural. Hey. I make it a hard pay. Let me check. I make it a hard pay. I'm pretty sure. I make it a hard pay. I'm pretty sure. I need some air. Point that air at me. No flipping away. I don't see anything. WKMA Cleveland and HD2 Station. How about it? We're back here on Massacre Radio on WKMA Cleveland and HD2 Station. And if you're just joining us, my guest today is writer-director Uva Boll. And so far, we've covered his film Postal, his critics, and his idea of what makes a movie entertaining. Now, Uva, for this next question, I kind of feel it's a little bit dumb, even though I wrote it myself. So I'm a little on the fence on whether or not I want to ask you. So I'm going to go ahead and spin this wheel here, and this wheel will determine... If I ask you this question that I think is kind of silly, but let's see what happens here. Go ahead and give it a spin. Wouldn't you know it, it says yes. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you this question. As silly as it may seem, uh, I read on your Wikipedia that you have a PhD in literature. As much as I hate to be Wikipedia guy here, I did want to ask you how or in what ways do you lean on your PhD in literature while making films, or does that even come into play at all? And if so, in what ways? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's basically in Germany, I couldn't get into film school when I was young because there were only two film schools. They took like 40 people total per year. So you had no chance if you don't know people. And so I studied literature in, instead because you need the fallback situation. What, what will happen if I am not turning into a director? So and that was the reason. And so my, my dissertation was about TV series. So I've wrote a whole thing about the structure of TV series and what TV series are the most successful and so on. So it was not about books from the Middle Ages or something. So and uh, but it, it doesn't really help. It helps only on the letter head to get respect. <laughs> yeah. So from business in the film industry, nobody really cares. But when you do businesses, when you have a film company or whatever, right, right. You f they feel more that you're more sophisticated because you have a doctor title till they meet me and then, and then it's all over. 
I wanted to ask you about the movie-making structure these days. I hear it so often how big-budget movies could afford to take the risk back some 15, 20 years ago because they would make a bunch of money on the back end with DVD rentals and sales, but that model doesn't work anymore in the digital age, and studios aren't willing to take as many risks, it seems, you know? So with you, having been a part of the industry for years, in your mind, Uva, what is a successful formula for profitable movies in the age of streaming? Yeah, it's, it's very tough to say. One thing is clear that they feed whatever script they get into a computer, right? So they first use AI for the first like point system analysis. And that, that is already, I think, very bad because on the one hand, AI, of course, can filter out what other shows were successful, you know, and then compare it or whatever. But on the other hand, you don't want the copy of a copy. You want original. If it doesn't fit exactly in this kind of algorithm, and I think that is what we're seeing now, that we see kind of variations with different actors of the same stuff. We had it first with the superhero films, with all that Avengers and so on. It got very tiring out and boring, you know? And and then you have it also with a lot of TV series, I think, where you feel like that is something I basically watched before and now the same stuff. And uh, so I think that is a mistake. On the other hand, uh, somebody on Netflix told me they're getting like 140 scripts a day. How you want to handle it, right? So it's also easier than just get it as a PDF and bing, sending it in and see what's coming back. So the real formula is not there, but I, but I feel that a lot of streamers and especially also Netflix, that they make mistakes, you know, that I feel 80% what Netflix is producing is not hitting any mark. It's basically, I, I see myself, I watch, I go through the thing, I watch a little trailer, what comes up. And then I feel, oh God, I just cannot do it. <laughs> I don't know about you, but it seems to me like Netflix has kind of been on a downtick. All these streaming services, you know, it's just kind of becoming a different form of cable altogether. Um, with Netflix in particular, though, how do you think they can bounce back to become the industry leader uh, of streaming, the number one destination, if you will? I would like that where the original Netflix came from, that they would be the market leader in genre films and also horror in like other genres, what the others don't touch because they're too vogue, too correct, whatever Disney, you know, so stuff like this. And I think that Netflix moves more in this event kind of big stuff, what is not even necessary. They don't have to spend $180 million on Michael Bay to make an action film. You know, it's, it's, it's wasted money because it will be after two weeks disappear into no man's land on, on, the, on, the, on the surface. And I think... It's it's uh, 480 million. You can make 20 get-outs and 20 smiles and 20, you know, like you can make so much more films and give also directors uh, possible uh, possibilities to to shine, you know. Mm -hmm. And I told Netflix they never did it. They never showed Postal. And I said, look, you get Postal for free to Netflix, and I repeat this now on air here for you. Yeah. <laughs> so Netflix, they get postal for free and they pay only, you know, if like per minutes watched, you know? So if it makes under whatever, two million minutes, uh, I'm not getting anything, you know, so uh, nothing. So, and I'm happy to do that because I know postal will be a sleeper on Netflix and it will grow and grow and grow. Because as soon people click that on and you see the two pilots, <laughs> 
like you know, then you have that. They will watch it. It's the same with Rampage. Rampage run only in the US uh, on Netflix, and it did 3.8 million hours. It was uh, very successful for a little action film without big stars, you know, because the people watched the little clip and felt like, well, I'm watching that. Boom, you know, and, and that is the thing. And I think that chance Netflix should give more directors. They should try this out with more films and they should also put be a little fit more fair in paying people than based on success. You know, for Rampage, I almost got no money from them, but they should give me some more after it actually turned into a success. That would be fair, you know. A lot of people that do the originals, they're just getting flooded with money, do the original, deliver it to Netflix, it totally stinks, it doesn't work, and boom, they still make their millions of dollars out of the budget. Uva Bull is my guest today on Massacre Radio. Let's get back to Postal. On last week's episode, we had talked to Zach Ward. He played the Postal dude in the film, and I complimented him on his comedic acting, and in particular the scene towards the beginning of the film where he's messing around with a chair. Now, he told me that he took a screw out of it to make it more unstable so he could play with it just a little bit. So as a director for you, how much creative freedom do you give your actors and how do you approach it if they come to you with an idea like that on the set? No, I'm totally open for it. I I mean, especially in a comedy, you give them room, right? So to unfold their talent. And uh, Zach was uh, amazing. And the interesting thing is on the uh, casting, he uh, uh, wanted to be, or he came in to read for one of the police officers, where Ralph Müller played it uh, and, and Chris Spencer in the end. And I said, that is the postal dude. I mean, when he started talking, right? And uh, I was there with Dan Clark and, and uh, the, the line producer, who's the window washer in the beginning. He yes. played the window washer. We both looked at each other and said, no, that is the postal dude. It's unbelievable. He's exactly the guy we need. And I'm uh, very happy that that he did it. You know, I think he was absolutely uh, perfect. And I think he has that in him, like, to be this kind of loser who wants to be bigger as he is. <laughs> you know, I told him always, you're like an actor, Zach. Like, yeah. <laughs> and he hated me for it. But, uh, but it was, I mean, for him, I think it was also a great experience, you know. And uh, I mean, all that years, I said, like, if a movie like this, we should have a second part, you know. So, uh, uh, or we spin it off in a six-part miniseries or something. But I would love to do that. If you had to say, in your mind, what is it about the movie Postal do you think that resonates with people more than any of your other films? Because I know in the past you've you've said that you sign more copies of the movie Postal at like fan conventions than any of your other movies, maybe outside of Rampage. Yes. Yeah, because I think, like when I go to a fan convention or something, you can really say 80% of the DVDs I'm signing are Postal and Rampage. 80%. And Rampage has a little advantage because it has three parts. So, you know, Postal is a one basically, right? right? So, and, uh, so, and the people love it. And also, wherever I went, I went to a lot of festivals with Postal. In Tennessee, Chattanooga, I, I went uh, to Austin. Uh, we went to Arizona where, uh, for Vince Dizzy, like in, in Tucson. And no matter who watched it, lefts, rights, Democrats, Republicans, they all loved it. You know, they all gave them, I think this kind of amusement where they where they just like they couldn't be mad about the content because it was actually funny and it was great actors all around i mean look at the cast from from postal amazing cast i don't think the agents would let all their people play in a film like this now 
You know, if you go now to J.K. Simmons and you want him in a film like Postal, I think the agent would stop him, even if he wanted to, you know, or Dave Foley or uh, J.K. Simmons is now Oscar winner. So, and then they would all say, oh, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. That's the end of your career. <laughs> you know, you kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but in your movie Postal, there is a lot of politically incorrect humor and subject matter. And these days, I don't think the movie could get made, you know, just based on the actors simply not wanting to be associated with something like that, you know. And whether that's fair or unfair, how do you break through the absurdity of actors being afraid to do roles these days because they might be afraid that they wouldn't get hired ever again? Yeah, that is a good point. But the reality is I don't do post or two right now, you know, and I, I, I made since then only genre film like action film, thriller, whatever. So it's I don't know. I would have to try if I would make a ridiculous comedy, you know. So and uh, I know in the times where we did Postal, we got very positive reactions from the actors because they felt also it's time to show the absurdity, you know? So, and there are so many things happening in today's time. They are totally absurd from the, from the left and from the right, where you feel like that it's basically an invitation to make a joke about. And, uh, you know, I mean, think about that the Bin Laden family was actually doing deals with the Bush family. Uh, you know, I mean, it's so absurd that if you think about it, the Al-Qaeda leader, the real terrorist, the most wanted guy in the world, but by accident, his family is well known in the US and they're making all kinds of things together. <laughs> that shit, you cannot make it up. You know, that is why I've, I've, I have to brought them as buddies, you know, because so in a comedy, you go three steps ahead where it's right. obvious that that uh, they are kind of buddies the whole time. And uh, and that he lives in the U.S. and didn't hide in Pakistan or something. And I think that adds, adds up. I think com good comedy, it's the same like stand-up comedy too. It has to go this two steps far, you know, and then you really start laughing about it. <laughs> then you see, oh my God, like Vern Troyer with the monkeys yeah. in the bunker. You know, so <laughs> stuff like this. The audience always totally flipped out when they saw the monkeys. He like, not the monkeys. But the normal question would be why there are monkeys in the bunker? Like, <laughs> for what? I mean, like, he expected there's a bunker with thousands of monkeys ready to rape him. I mean, it's, it, it, it's completely insane. And, you know, and I felt also like, for example, when we shot the children in little Auschwitz, you know, I mean, it's also insane. So, and you should be shooting in the, in the masses, like they're basically spraying the audience, but only children getting shot. That is funny. You know, if I would shot adults and children, it would not work. But that only children getting shot, that makes it comedy. And that makes it also not like, oh my God, they're shooting only children, because it is like this, it's on the nose, like, oh, you can never shoot a child in the film. And we're shooting only child. <laughs> then it's funny. And I think that, that a lot of comedian directors, they have this uh, self-censorship in today's time, right? So they don't go to uh, what in animation, like Family Guy goes over the top a lot or, or South Park, and they don't do that. You know, they are just, uh, ah, God, I don't, the test screening, we could offend an old grandma with it, right? So, and, <laughs> and then you... you uh, you sin out the gags and, and everything gets a little too boring. And we went in postal and every scene, I think, 
and felt every scene has to be a standalone sensational scene where you feel like, you know, when Uncle Dave was his sect guru girls, then yeah. he goes on the tour. I mean, <laughs> it's like, like, oh my God, he has the shit up right where the bed is. And stuff like this. And that is the, that, but that makes it then so funny, you know, because you really go this far. So the number one question I think the people around the world are wondering about Uva Bowl is, when are we going to get a Nicolas Cage collaboration? I think that's just what the film industry needs these days more than ever, and they just don't know it. I know, I know. And uh, I'm, I'm shooting a film in April, uh, Run. It's kind of an action film about the migrant crisis in Europe, but but really with a lot of action. And I, I tried to get him, but he was booked already for something else. But I'm not giving up on Nicolas Cage because I think he's as crazy as me in a way, right? So, uh, and, and he, uh, what I admire, because a lot of people wrote him off because he made too many films, right? So, but he always has that surprising films in between. And he never, it's, it's not a decline to nothing with Nicolas Cage, you know? It's more of his waves. And I like it that he plays one movie too much instead of playing no movie at all, you know? I, I don't think you would, I don't think you would have Tom Cruise doing Born on Fourth of July again. You know, like, uh, and that was a great film he did, you know, so, and that is the thing. It's like, there are so many superstars. They're so like protective that they do like one film every two or three years and they're totally protective of that film. And I like the attitude more of, of Nicolas Cage who says, why? I don't want to sit eight months at home. I'm just shooting another film if it's Pig or whatever. You know, he did so many films yeah. and they were, a lot of, of the, the films were really good, even if they were then smaller and the budget were, was smaller. But they work, so I would uh, love to uh, work with him. Uva, I heard through the Olive Branch that you are, in fact, a fan of pinball. You love playing pinball, so I was in a league for a few years myself. I love pinball. I want to know, what are your favorite tables? <laughs> no, but, but uh, here were the arcades. I played in arcades the whole time, right, uh -huh. with the real pinball machine. So I don't, I don't own one, but as soon as I see some, uh, something in the bar, I throw the coin in and I play. So uh, I like it. I got a lot of free, free, uh, free games. Uh, oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, you know? so you're pretty good. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. Yeah, yeah. And I, But the thing is, um, we have table soccer at home. We play all the way table soccer uh, tournaments here. But uh, I know if I would have the machine here, I would lose too much time working. So it's better you're on holidays and you walk around. Oh, there's a little arcade, so let's play a little. Then it's enough. Yeah. <laughs> I know you had mentioned the upcoming movie Run, but is there anything else you'd like to mention while I have you on? Yeah, so uh, in June uh, comes in North America with uh, Quiver, the distribution company Quiver, brings my film uh, First Shift. So as a cop film I shot in New York. It was Kristen Renton from Sons of Anarchy and uh, Gino Pesi, Daniel Soli. And it's like a first shift of two cops in New York who need to get through their first shift. And it has a lot of comedy elements to it, a little like Bad Boys, this weapon vibe to it. But it's, of course, also very uh, action-driven and dramatic. So on YouTube is the trailer, first shift. So when you put it in, it's coming up. Yeah, I hope a lot of people will, uh, even if it will be only like 10, 20 screens, but if it's running in the city uh, where people are, it would be great if uh, everybody goes and watches it. Writer-director Uva Bowl has been my guest today on Massacre Radio. Hey, thanks again for your time today. Have a nice rest of your day, okay? Buy it. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Massacre.
Hey, thanks again to my guest, Uva Bull, for joining me. Don't forget to check out that Postal Blu-ray as well as the Blood Rain and his upcoming films, Run and First Shift. Those sound awesome. Uh, always a class act, that guy. I really enjoyed speaking with him. Anyway, I've been Members Only Dave, and I'll talk at you next week. The normal question would be why there are monkeys in the bunker. Like, for what? I mean, like, he expected there's a bunker with thousands of monkeys ready to rape him.